All right. So in chapter 23, if y'all remember, we had the queen mother, Athaliah, was put to death for her, her, her treason against Judah, even though she was crying out treason whenever Joash was presented as king. But we know what the truth of that matter was. She was not the rightful ruler. Uh, Joash was. He was the last descendant of David that was protected. And we're going to look at, number one, Jehoda, who was the priest who basically put his neck on the line to take care of Joash and raise him and to make sure that David had one more descendant uh, to carry on that, uh, that lineage for, his, for the kingdom, which ultimately would end up leading to our Savior, Christ. So even though it looked like David's uh, line was about to go out, God was in control. So just remember that in our own lives. When it seems like we're at the end of our rope, God is still in control of this situation. And then we're going to look at some of the actual reign of Joash and how as long as Jehoiada was alive, he was doing things. And we'll see, and I believe it's in verse 2, that he was doing things in the will and the way of the Lord. But as soon as Jehoiada died, we see a whole different side of, of Joash and that he started listening to a lot of bad counsel and unwise counsel on his behalf. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1, chapter 24. And it says, Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. <clears throat> and Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. So here we see that he was seven years old when he began to reign. Because if you remember, Athaliah reigned for six years, and then they brought Joash out to present him as king at seven years old. And at being seven years old, he couldn't make the mature decisions that a king needed to make. So we see Jehoiada became his mentor and, uh, and, and led him until he got of age to where he could start making his own decisions. So sometimes after he had reached that full age, we see in, in verse 4 that he wanted to rebuild the temple. <clears throat> so it also, we, we, we looked at verse 2, which I just talked about about Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord as long as Jehoiada was his mentor and Jehoiada was alive. Now, we're going to see later inside this, inside this chapter that he has a totally different change of heart uh, whenever Jehoiada dies. And this is, this is a good example of someone living off the faith of someone else. And I think, and my children and just children in general came to mind. A lot of times children will walk in the faith of their fathers and their mothers until they get released into the world when they're out the house. And they, they turn their back on their faith. And I pray to God, my children, your children, don't do that. You know, I, I know where I was at when I left the house. Thank God Jesus found me quickly. <laughs> And brought me in. But I will say this also in that fact, growing up in a faith, the foundations were set for me. 
to be able to find Christ and to, and to have him as my Lord and Savior. And I'm pretty sure Joash, growing up under the, the tutorship of Jehovah, knew who God was. He grew up in the temple, day in and day out in the temple. And you can see he had a heart for the temple because in verse 4 it says that he wanted to repair the temple. He wanted to bring it back to his glory it once had. Because <clears throat> you got to think with Athaliah being in charge, her and her sons and her people went in and stripped the temple down and used it for the worship of Baal and building those temples. So they weren't worried about the temple. But we see here that Joash was worried about the temple. And we also see here, which something is not mentioned in Second Kings, is that Jehoiada got him two got him two wives. So I'm pretty sure this happened while and I was sounds funny he has two wives. That's not the norm today, but this was so that the the Vedic reign, his lineage could continue on. Because you gotta remember he was the last last one of, of David's uh sons that was still alive. So Jehoiada got him two wives, they end up having kids, and in Second Kings they don't talk too much about it. But you got to think this book, First and Second Chronicles, is written for those who were coming out of captivity. So this brought them a lot of a lot of uh, encouragement and a lot of hope, seeing that oh wow, this was the last uh, person in the line of David. But we see that he made it; that God brought him through, and now he has children who's going to carry on that lineage and become the next king and the next king until the final king comes. King Jesus comes to rule and reign. So this brought them hope coming out of captivity. Verse 5, it goes on. It says, And then he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all of Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. However, the Levites did not do it quickly. So the king uh, called Jehovah, the chief priest, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection, according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness? So here he's trying to raise the funds to rebuild the temple, and he's telling the Levites to go out and gather and collect the money from the people. And, and according to him, it was in accordance with what Moses had did when they were out in the wilderness to be able to protect it. But he was a little confused on, on, on what that actually meant. <clears throat> now, when he says to go out and collect the silver, he's talking about any kind of wealth that they can collect from the people, any kind of materials that they can collect from the, uh, from the people in order to build and restore this temple. So he was going to go out and collect it. But he says something about, in verse 6, he says that, he had to go collect it according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read about that particular text he was talking about. <clears throat> There's going to be in Exodus 30, verses 11 through 16, and it reads, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man... Shall, uh, shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when the number, uh, when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. 
half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone, including everyone included among those who are numbered from twenty years old and above, shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more than the poor, shall not give less than half a shekel. And when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and you shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for yourselves. So Moses was going to collect this money for those who were being numbered in a census. There's no census going on here. So what he, what Joash is asking them to do was not right. And I believe Jehovah eventually explained it to him how this should work, that this is not a mandatory uh, collection of taxes that was to happen here, and that doing it as Moses did was not right. So we're going to see in a minute how they collected the money. But there was no census going on, so he should not have collected the money in that way. And moving on to verse 7, we're going to show you how he collected the money. It says, For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God, which we had spoke about earlier, and why the temple has to be repaired, and, he, and had also uh, presented all the de- uh, dedicated things of the house of the Lord to Baals. So she, they went in, ransacked the, the temple, and used those materials to build the house of Baal, which was next door. And it says, then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced, brought their, <coughs> brought their contributions, and put them into the chest until all had given. So here we learn here, one of the reasons why the temple was in such a sad state. The previous uh, regime tore it apart. And we see that Jehovah made a big collection box, probably, probably bigger than what we have in the back, but something similar to that, and they bore a hole on the top of it. So when the people, the Levites, the priests, the people would come in to worship, they were able to voluntarily bring their offerings in and to give to the temple building fund. And it says here in verse 8 that when they did it, that they did it and they rejoiced. There was joy in giving back to the temple. And we Roy shared earlier, there was a, a joy knowing that the Lord was working. And he put it on your heart to give. He put it on my heart to give at times. And the Lord needs to put it on our heart to give. And it says that we should rejoice in giving. So if you can't give and rejoice, it's probably better off not doing it at all. You know, but you can still give here. That's okay. But do it, do it with joy. You know, God doesn't need our money. And, and I think sometimes people get that confused when they think about God. All that God wants is our money. God doesn't need our money. Right? He owns what? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the gold and silver in the mines in the world. This world is his. He doesn't need our money. We're the ones who need to be able to give and to do it joyfully, to what eradicate the tendencies we have of being selfish and materialistic, to just be able to give out of our heart and just to see others blessed by it. You know, 
And we see that there the people of Israel, of Judah, were coming to the temple and they were giving because why? They wanted to see their temple rebuilt. They wanted to see their temple to be something of worth again. And they wanted to see God honored in their giving and in the building of this temple. And we know in 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians 9, 7, it says, So let each one give as he has purpose in his heart. Give what you have purpose in your heart. Don't give because you feel like you're pressured that I have to give. Give because you, ha- because you have whatever that purpose is in your heart to give. The Lord has put that on your heart. That's when you should give. And not grudgingly. So don't say, oh, man, i got to bring my tithe in again. We shouldn't be upset about that because that money will be used for the work of the Lord. So we should be joyful in knowing that what we're giving, that we're contributing to the work of the Lord. And it says, not grudgingly or of necessity, but give, uh, but for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be cheerful givers. And the people of Judah were seeing that, that they were going to be cheerful givers in giving back to the temple. And so they had this chest that was there. And it was put in place, and the message was put out that, hey, come to the temple and give to the temple. Give that the temple can be rebuilt, give to the Lord, and to help with the work of the Lord. And the people came in, and they did it voluntarily. They did it so much, we're going to read in a minute, that every day they had to empty it out. They were giving too much. I don't know if you can ever really give too much, because God gave all for us. So any bit we can give is... Small compared to what he has done. But they were giving. And in verse 11 it says, So it was at that, at that time, <clears throat> when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, that the king's scribes and the high priest's officers came and emptied the chest and took it and returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. So daily they had to empty it out and place it back to get it filled. Now, I don't know how big this chest was. It could have been a big chest. I I don't know. But they they had money in abundance. Then it goes on. It says, The king king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons, carpenters, to repair the house of the Lord, and also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored, and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. So here we see this, this overabundant amount of money coming in to be able to, to go ahead and refurbish the house of God. And then they handed the money over to the masons and the iron workers and the carpenters. And in Second Kings 12, it says that they handed the money over in faith. They gave them the money, not worried about what they were going to do with the money. They trusted the people that they were handing the money over to. They trusted the carpenters. They didn't even keep account of it because they knew that this was the work of the Lord and the Lord would take care of that. So they restored the temple and they, they made it beautiful again. It says here that they what? That they offered, oh, I'm sorry, wrong one. And that, they re, um, that they restored the house of God to his original condition the condition that Solomon had built it to. And they reinforced it, reinforced it, so they made it strong again. And now we have a centerpiece where Israel can come, of Judah can come and worship God. 
to have a, a spot to meet and worship God and meet him there now again. And it goes on to verse 14. It says, when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. They made from the, its articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving uh, and offering offerings, spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. There's a pattern going here. All this is happening in the days of Jehoiada. We're about to, about to reach a turning point here. So all the extra items they had after they've reinforced the temple and made it beautiful again, they used for the utensils for the service of uh, temple worship. And then we see here they sacrificed animals again. And in verse 15, it says, But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the, in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel both towards God and his house. So they buried this priest amongst the rest of the kings that were there. Because basically he was the king. Having to, to mentor Joash, he basically rule, ruled Judah in uh, Joash's spot as he was coming up. He was, but he just didn't have the name or the title of king. But he did all the actions and all the works of what a king would do until Joash came of age. But now he has passed away, and it was a turning point here for Judah. For it was Jehoiada who was the mainstay of the true worship of God in Judah. He was the one who was basically holding it all together, ultimately God. But he used Jehoiada to hold that true worship of God together in Judah. And they buried him in the city of David with the kings. And it is apparent now what's about to happen that Joash was a weak man. That we talked earlier that he lived off the faith of Jehoiada. And while under his influence of his adopted father and mentor, he walked right with God. But we're going to see moving into verses 17 that that all changed when he passed away. Verse 17, it goes on, it says, And now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. So this is telling me that Jehoiada had some pull in the nation of Judah. These other leaders would not rear their heads up to go talk to the king about things as long as Jehoiada was there. But once he passed away, they found their opportunity to try and get what they wanted. In verse 18, it says, Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespasses. Yet he, and that's God, sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against him. But they would not listen. So now that Jehovah was dead and out of the way, these other leaders came in to try and implement their plan that they had. And they wanted to worship other idols like Baal and Ashtara and all these other idols that they had. And you got to remember, all these kings had been trying to, good kings, had been trying to eradicate all these high places and these other places of worship, but they never could seem to get rid of all these small places of worship. They would always pop back up again. Remember, Jehoshaphat would try to get rid of them. Asa would try to get rid of them. But all these small places of worship would pop back again. 
And because part of that was, was because we think about worshiping God. We're true born-again believers. We have a new spirit that lives within us, right? We have our minds should be renewed with Christ. And we don't want to do what we used to do. What our old flesh, you know, our flesh tries to rise up sometime, but we have to crucify that flesh. But these people who were never true followers of God to begin with, they didn't want to worship God because in turning worshiping God, that means they had to put away their lust. They had to put away their selfishness. They had to put away all the things that felt good to them, whatever pleased the flesh. That's what they wanted to do. And in a lot of these uh, small places where they went to worship, they would have sex as part of that worship. And then remember, they, they, in some of these in Israel, they would worship Moloch, right? That would throw the, they would throw the babies in there to burn. So what would they do? They would go worship in these sexual acts, have a child, take that unwanted child, sacrifice it over to Moloch. Sounds like abortion today. Same concept. Just a different way of doing it. So these leaders and these people of Judah who all seemed to want to follow the true and living God while Jehoiada was alive are now wanting to go worship these idols. They want to fall back into the lust. They're like, this is our opportunity. Joash is a weak king. He'll listen to what we have to say. And they would turn away from it because no longer was it the social norm to worship God. As long as Jehoiada was there, they were going to worship God. But now that he's out the way, hey, let's go back to our lustful, selfish ambitions and let's do what we want and worship who we want. We don't want to worship God. He limits us in what we can do, not knowing that that, that's going to lead to death. But here they are wanting to worship another God, a false God, and worship and follow their own lustful desires. In verse 20, it says, Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, uh, he also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not, Remember the kindness of Jehovah to his father had done to him, but killed his son. <clears throat> and as he died, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. So God in his mercy is sending prophets to the nation of Judah, telling them to repent. And doesn't God do that to us as well? And is doing it to our nation as we speak. We are sending people out to tell our nation and telling the nation of Judah here, repent. What you are doing is going to lead to death. What you're doing is going to end in your ruin. Why don't you repent? Come back to your first love. Come back to me, the true and living God, who will take care of all your needs. But the nation of Judah and those who were in leadership at that time did not see that. And they didn't want to hear it. So what did they do? They eliminated Zechariah. They killed him. Joash himself ordered for him to be killed. This is the one who was raised by Jehoiada. 
the father of Zechariah. And he had his own son killed. Now I'm pretty sure Joash and Zechariah knew each other as Joash was growing up. And he had this prophet killed. It's funny what bad company can do to you if you're not, if you're not grounded in the Lord. It can persuade you to do many things that, that normally you would not do. And I have a feeling that Joash knew that this was wrong, but he was pressured so much by these other leaders that he allowed this to happen. And he's just as much as fault in it as the people who are pressuring him. <clears throat> so here it would seem that Joash did not have a personal relationship with the Lord. As we read in the earlier verses that as long as Jehovah was around, that he walked with the Lord. And then we see as soon as Jehovah dies, now he's walking contrary to what the Lord has. So he doesn't have that personal relationship with the Lord. His was a secondhand faith. Secondhand faith hanging on the coattail of Jehovah, just riding with him until the end. And when Jehovah died, Joash just spun off into idolatry. He spun off into immorality. He spun off into, now we're seeing, condoning murder. Because what did the Lord say in the Gospels? That if you hate your brother, you, it's like having murder in your heart. So he may not have physically murdered Zechariah. I don't know if he cast a stone at him or not. But the fact that he condoned it and gave the okay, the thumbs up to do it, he's just as much to blame in this. That is why it's so important for us to have our own personal, genuine faith in Christ. I can't live off the faith of my mom and dad. I can't live off the faith of the church. I can't live off the faith of my wife, my daughters, my, my if I had sons, I couldn't live off of their faith, my friends. Because when we stand before God, we're going to stand alone before him. And we are going to have to answer. I can't say, well, ask my wife. Ask my mom and dad about it. We got to answer for ourselves. And Joash did not have that relationship with God. He used the faith of Jehovah. And it does get disappointing. And, and I talked about children earlier about them once they leave the nest going on their own. A lot of children that are raised in the church end up leaving the faith. And that's a horrible thing. And I pray, pray, Lord God, don't let my children leave the faith. We're all going to have to have to have our own walk. We're all going to have our own struggles, and they will too. But I pray that whatever I've taught them growing up, that they'll come back to it and rely on it and, and use and have Christ as their rock. That that will be their foundation on which they see everything else. And Joash had a solid foundation built before him. But just he never, he never set himself on that foundation. And we see him here falling away. This is such an important port, part of Scripture that even in Matthew twenty three thirty five, Christ actually speaks about it. And it says, it says, what was that? Verse 35. He says, that on, my, uh, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. God sent these prophets out to warn his people. He sends prophetic words out today to warn the people. And so often these prophets in the Old Testament were killed. They were murdered, stoned, cut in half, you name it. 
they were destroyed by the unbeliever. And all they were doing was bringing a message of love, a message of, hey, God loves you and wants to repent. And he wants to do great things for you. Just turn back to God. And that's what God's saying to our nation right now. Turn back to me. Turn back to the one who wants to protect you. Turn back to the one who wants to do good for you. Turn back to the one who can save you as a nation, as a people. But yet so many Americans are just turning their back or spitting on him. Not wanting to hear nothing from the pulpit, not wanting to hear nothing from the Bible, not wanting to hear nothing from the Christian or the believer, but wanting to follow their own lust, just like these people here in Judah were doing. They wanted to follow their own ambition and their own selfish desires. And they wouldn't listen to the prophets of God. They wouldn't listen to the voice that God put out there on his behalf. And we see now as we're getting into verses 23 that God would forsake them. He did exactly what the prophet said. Repent. And if you don't, I'm going to forsake you because you have forsaken me. Just remember, we always make that move away from God. God stands firm. So if there's anybody forsaking anybody, it's us forsaking God, not the other way around. So in verse 23, goes on and says, So it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him. And they came up against him. They're talking about Joash. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king in Damascus. For the, uh, for the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men. So this was not a big army that was coming up against Judah. And this is a very, very, this is one of the ways that God will use to humble the nation of Judah. So they didn't send a big company. It was a small company. But the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands. So Judah had a great army that went up against them. And the smaller army prevailed. Because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. Simple statement. They had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. We've seen throughout Kings and we've seen throughout Chronicles. The roller coaster ride that Judah and the nation of Israel as a whole has had with God. When they've had good kings in there and we've had the nation doing the right things and following God, everything was great. They may have had enemies that came against them, but God took care of it and gave them victory, gave them wealth, gave them prestige. And all of that was to point back to who he was. Using the people of Israel to point to who he was, to show other nations who the true living God was, who the creator God was. And that's what he was using the nation of Israel for. But then we see when they would get bad kings and they would get evil kings in the way. And they would start going off the path, going into idolatry. God would lift his hand. You're forsaking me. I have to forsake you. I cannot condone the idolatry and the evil that you're doing. And they would fall just like Joash here would fall into the hands of the Syrians or the Babylonians, or whoever God chose to use to correct his people. And I believe God is slowly but surely lifting his hands off of our nation right now. Because so many people in our nation are forsaking him. So many people are not wanting to know anything about him. He does have a remnant here. We're part of that remnant. 
to keep uh, keep his his gospel going in this country and to keep 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 some sanity in this country. But slowly, God is lifting His hand off this country, and He lifted it off of Judah because of Joash's actions here. In verse twenty-five, it says, "And when they had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded." So the Syria left him; they didn't even take him into captivity. He severely wounded, and they just left him on the on the field to die. It seems like. Says his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada, his uh, the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David. But they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. So not only did his did God forsake him now because he walked in the ways of of the wicked, and he forsook God, the Syrians. Forsuck, uh, forsake them too because they just left him on the battlefield to die. And then when he did make it back to Judah, the people that he trusted end up killing him in his bed because of his actions against Zechariah. He's having it bad in all kind of ways here, but I guess that's what you get when you want to follow contrary to God's way. It says, these are the ones who conspired against him. Zabad, the son of Shimeath, uh, the Ammonitus, and Zehozabad, the son of Shemirth, the Mobitus. Now concerning his sons and the many oracles about him and the repairing of the house of God, indeed, they are written in the annuals of the books of the kings. Then Amaziah, the son, reigned in his place. So he's going back to verse 25. It says that he was not even buried he was buried, uh, so, so he died, and they were buried him in the city of David, but they didn't even bury him with the kings. During this period, they buried Jehoiada. He was considered more of a king than Joash was. He started off real good. He wanted to build the temple, which was a great thing. I think that was awesome, and God blessed that. But we've seen as time went on, and the faith he was holding on to faded away through Jehoiada, we see him take a, a steep decline into idolatry. And to tell, and this is the tale of lives, of a life that was written on the coattail of someone else's faith. We should never write on the coattail of someone else's faith at all. We have to have our own to stand on. And we see what the outcome here is at the end where Joash was dishonored by not being buried with the kings. He was dishonored by his own people, killing him in, in his own bed while he was trying to recover. But just remember, we have to have our own faith in Christ. That's what saves us. Our own genuine faith. We can't ride on the faith of others. Amen. Father, we thank you for this message tonight. We thank you that it is a reminder, Lord, that the faith we have in you is, is our own individual faith and that we need to hold on strong to that and that you become our rock and our anchor, Father, uh, in our lives, Lord, and that we can always... We can always turn back to you for anything that we need and for strength and for protection and that we don't need to turn to others, uh, other, faith, other people's faith, Lord, that our faith that we have should be rooted in you. And we give you glory for that, Lord. We ask for your blessing over those here today. We ask for your blessing for those who are not here. We uh, continue to pray for Pastor George that uh, you, would, you would continue to heal his heart, Lord, and his, his mind and his body, Father, uh, and let it be all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.